So the first sermon um, of Lent two weeks ago, we spent some time meditating on desire and temptations. And the desire part uh, was about getting to the bottom of what we truly, truly want, right? untangling this complicated mess of knots that comes from families, our religious upbringings, the values and expectations of the culture around us, the political world, um, to just Simp, uh, to answer that simple but maddening, maddening, maddling, <laughs> maddeningly difficult question, what do you want? What is it that you desire? We began there because getting comfortable with that question is really, I think, the starting point of this journey, this Lenten journey. All the rest of the Lenten themes, they don't make a whole lot of sense, or at least are very difficult to answer or think about if we do not have a handle on our desires. And I say this because uh, what we truly desire is home. Not like the object of our desire is a home, um, like on Zillow or something. Uh, what I mean is that what we desire is the place where we are most truly ourselves, where we are free to be who we are, do what we want to do, where we are at home, right? This metaphorical sense of home, this place where we and our desire are no longer at tension or in conflict with one another. But there, there is rest, there's joy, there's freedom. If I'm not making sense, know that I am talking about something that's a pretty old idea. The texts and testimonies of the Israelites in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, use this idea, this language all the time, this symbolic and literal sense of home, right? The promised land, Jerusalem, Zion. These are powerful places that meant, again, both a literal place where they were free to live and flourish, and also a symbolic place that they longed for, strived for, journeyed for. Particularly during the Israelites' history of, of many exiles where Neighboring kingdoms would come and destroy their lands and sacred temples, taking them to foreign places like Babylon. The idea of home from the prophets to the psalmists was a source of lament and hope, a rallying cry, a way to remember. This is Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and there we wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our harps for there our captors asks, asked us for songs, and our tormentors asked for amusement, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand wither. Let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. This is the story of home for the Israelites as, um, as it is often interpreted through the prophetic and poetic texts. Again, this place where they communed with desire, where they had what they truly wanted, where God lived quite literally in the temple, as was the case in these stories. But even then, as with the Garden of Eden and all good things that come to an end, they'd only be there for a short time. Their stay would always... Um, not last, right? Some shit would always happen. They'd worship idols and kings and be invaded and captured and taken. They would long to go back, remembering who they were and wanted to be. 
Some of them would return home. Some of them would not make it. I know uh, many of us might have grown up with this, these stories as sort of a cautionary tale, right? Don't be like the Israelites. See how they abandoned God and did all these wicked things and all these bad things happened. But this story, at least in the sense I want to bring it to you today, um, isn't like a prescriptive narrative as much as it is a descriptive one. I think it shows us something about our nature and its relationship to divine things. There's a journey we all take in both a literal and symbolic sense to leave home, to long for return, sometimes finding our way back, other times remaining in exile. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and there we wept when we remembered Zion. Though I've heard this song or verse many times, uh, most notably in that reggae song, which I won't sing for you, but maybe you know it, by the rivers of Babylon. Uh, <laughs> I'm certainly moved by it uh, in a different way today as I think of this moment, again, a year from the start of the pandemic where I have been unable to go home geographically for so long. As I think about the Asian American experience in light of the rise of violence against my people and the experience of all those who are immigrant kids or kids of refugees, descendants of slaves, survivors of genocide. As I think about how many of us weep for Zion that is only known to us in ghosts. What is home to one who is a foreigner in all lands? That verse feels different when I think of it that way. I want to invite you for a moment to meditate, to pray with me on this passage. We're going to put it up on the screen again. Um, I ask, don't just let it sort of pass you by, but let's sit with it. Let's sit with it, feeling its grief, experiencing its truth. Um, take a moment to do that. We'll come back soon. We're going to go right into another passage for us to read together. This is a parable Jesus once told in Luke 15. Then Jesus said there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's uh, hired hands have bread enough uh, to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against you, against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger 
and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This is a, a rich text. Obviously, there's a lot going on here that we could talk about. Um, if you don't know, this is called the story or the parable of the prodigal son. Um, Virginia, could you take the uh, screen share off? Thanks. The parable of the prodigal son. If uh, I have a confession, when I was younger and heard this story, I thought the word prodigal meant like bad. <laughs> the bad son, right? I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? And then I learned that prodigal means like extravagant or wasteful of money. I suppose that makes sense. But anyway, if we look at this story, um, I would say fundamentally, this is a parable about repentance. It's clearly not original idea I had myself, but uh, a lot of people have said this, and I'm certain of the importance of Repentance. When I look at the other two parables in this chapter that are uh, sit alongside it, right, the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin, both those parables end with this refer uh, version of this refrain: "There's joy in heaven over one sinner who repents." Right. This is a story of the prodigal and the repentant son. Repent is a a, a sharp word, maybe right. If someone says was to say to you in your life, "Hey," You need to repent. Um, you probably be like, I don't know, <laughs> what are you talking about? Because uh, no one really talks like that anymore, except like you, weird youth ministers. But um, whatever one might say in response to such a thing, right? I doubt anyone would like to hear that or be told that, right? Uh, repentance can have the mark of accusation and trial. With judge and jury, it's a word that often takes on this sort of procedural connotation. We might recognize this in some formulations of Christianity that are like, you are sinful, so confess, repent, then you're forgiven, then you'll go to heaven. This kind of uh, legal, judicial interpretation of this gospel story. But I ask, is this what repentance looks like in this parable? Is this what we see as the model of repentance for us that Jesus gives. There's something there, something more important than, uh, say, when the son realizes he's wrong and in need and says, Father, I have sinned against you and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son, right? More vital and more important than this confession and mission of wrongdoing that we often think is so primary in repentance. I think for me, when I look at this famous parable, Repentance looks like going home. The journey of Lent is a pilgrimage of repentance, and repentance at its core is about returning home. I shared some quotes last week from um, the Orthodox theologian Alexander Schmemann. <laughs> Sorry, I just really like saying his name, Schmemann. And as I have been going through uh, one of his books for my Lenten meditations, uh, here's what he wrote on the prodigal son and repentance. The parable reveals to us the time of repentance as one's return from exile. The prodigal son, we are told, went to a far country and there spent all that he had. A far country. It is this unique definition of our human condition that we must assume and make ours as we begin our approach to God. 
A person who has never had that experience, be it only very briefly, who has never felt that he is exiled from God and from real life, will never understand what Christianity is about. And the one who is perfectly at home in this world and its life, who has never been wounded by the nostalgic desire for another reality, will not understand what is repentance. Do you know this feeling, right? This sense of exile, this wound, this nagging sense that you've traveled far from home. Something akin to what I um, spoke to earlier about my sense as a person of color in this country, but I think it's something that all of us know, felt, sensed in some way. In the Christian way, um, exile from God, I think, is we can say is to have lost connection with love itself. It's to act in ways that contradict that love, deny that love, even uh, hate that love. But fundamentally, to know that love at all is to know God. And to know God is to be at home. To paraphrase um, Augustine, the heart is restless, it wanders, it journeys until it rests in you, O God. When we take this journey of Lent, I think we are asked to feel the pull of return, the pull of return, um, because if we're looking around us on this path away from home, there's so much brokenness, so much violence, so much injustice. And even though we are travelers, we are not just bystanders in all that. But repentance is not the product of fear and judgment. It's the case I'm trying to make here. It is really the striving for restoration and healing. Lent is a time where we remember where we belong, where we, re where we remember what is home, where we remember who we are. One of the great purposes of community, I think, if we're doing it right, is to help one another to remember. And one of the great gifts of a ritual like communion is that it beckons us in flesh and blood again, to remember. As Shmemin says, as we remember, we find in ourselves the desire to return and the power to return. The thing worth admiring about the prodigal son is not that uh, he was willing to say sorry, right? I think he could have done that and just died on the street all the same. Instead, he found the desire, the power, the will to lead him home. Desire finds its home in God, in reconciliation, in restoration, in a love that says you are good, you are seen. And as a father who welcomes him back says you are home. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat and there we wept when we remembered Zion. During this time of Lent, uh, we take it seriously. We 
uh, find ourselves on this journey with intention and purpose. Um, may we also find ourselves weeping when we have wandered far. For there is so much to grieve in, foreign, in this foreign land. But as we do, I pray we uh, may also not forget this good news that the return home is always possible and that the repentance is the road we must take to get there. Amen.